My name is Willie Bolander. I study influence, persuasion, and leadership in selling and sales management, and I teach people how to sell. In this podcast, we'll talk to some of the world's top sales leaders and see what we can learn from them. Welcome to the Sales Lab. Hello, welcome to the Sales Lab. Today, we're going to be talking with Valerie Good. Now, we don't ordinarily speak to other professors because I find that the idea of a professor talking to other professors to try to convince you that professor stuff is cool and interesting just seems a little disingenuous. But Valerie has some very cool research to discuss. Purpose, motivating beyond financial incentives. What does it mean to have a purpose? Can you have a purpose if you're selling anything like toilet paper? It's important stuff. Hope you get something out of it. I absolutely love purpose. So this was my dissertation work and it came, it actually stemmed from my time in industry and also stories I was hearing. And so I'm thrilled to talk about purpose and how uh, people develop it, where I saw it coming from and why I sort of started the academic paper on it. And also, um, I thought I would share a funny conversation. I don't know how much of this you'll use, um, but I thought I'd share a funny conversation. I, I was interviewing um, back when I first graduated, and somebody said, can everybody have purpose in their job? And he kind of sneered at me, and he was like, can, for example, you know, somebody selling toilet paper, can they have a sense of purpose? And I would so love to go back to that person now, and I don't know if he'll listen to your sales podcast or not, but say, hey, 2020 told us that toilet paper is pretty important to people, right? Like, I think you can have a sense of purpose in everything that you sell, but the idea of purpose is that you have this idea that you're making a difference to society. So you're contributing to a cause greater and more enduring than yourself. And everything I was reading in academic literature when I first started the PhD program was all about um, financial incentives. So contests and um, and how much you're paying people and compensation and uh, you know bonuses and incentives. And all of those things are important. So don't get me wrong. Everybody wants to get paid. But from teaching sales, I know that all of my students go out into the workforce just assuming they're going to get paid. So you know they go into sales going, I'm going to make it rain. I'm going to make big money. And I think salespeople expect money. So I don't think it's mm. as motivating anymore as what people believe. And what I've found, especially for the younger generation, is that they want to make a difference. They want to feel like their work matters and that they're contributing to society. So that's where I sort of got the idea from. And then, of course, I've read about it and things. But yeah, I wanted to measure it. I wanted to see, is it money that's really driving these behaviors? Or is it this idea of, I am making a difference? And that's what's getting me up in the morning, making me go to work. That's what's keeping me at work on a Friday afternoon when I could you know, ditch out and go golfing and those kinds of things. And that is what I found in my studies is that, yeah, purpose matters more for the motivational aspect and driving behaviors than it is, you know, this idea that, hey, if I throw another 500 bucks at them, maybe they'll do something more. Yeah, that makes that makes plenty of sense to me. I, I'll tell you a, a story that I share with my students early in the semester that basically, you know, we, we I do this little bit and they've started to catch on. It doesn't work as well anymore. I'll have to I'll have to start doing a new one. But I sort of say, you know, hey, you guys have heard that saying that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? And I say, yeah. I say, so you know, like uh, you've you've had like an uncle or a, a mom or you know, so a mentor, some a coach, somebody who's told you a, a guidance counselor who said, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And the ideal, the ideal outcome of this bit is that, you know, they, they're sort of bobbing their heads and kind of going, yeah, yeah, it sounds kind of nice. I said, yeah, I mean, I, I had people, you know, when I was younger, tell me this people who I respect and wanted the 
best of from me, you know, and for me. And like that, it is so deeply untrue, so incredibly wrong. And I'm going to, and I'm going to spend the next hour arguing with the students about why it's wrong, you know, and, 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 and the idea being that maybe you've had this experience as well. You know, I've had students graduate and go take a job and, and thinking in line with this little saying, well, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And it doesn't feel like work for about two or three days. And then it starts feeling like work. And it's like, well, I, I love that my product meets this need, but I don't love that maybe 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 percent of my time as a new sales rep is spent trying to beg people to listen to me and let me share that this product, you know, this thing that really can make a difference for them. I That part doesn't I don't love that part, you know? And then we start talking about it in other industries or, or in, in other fields. You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, Tom Cruise loves being an actor, right? I would imagine. I don't know. I haven't asked the guy. He probably loves dating models and like, you know, living in mansions overlooking the ocean and stuff like that. There's probably a lot to love about that life. But like, I've listened to interviews, I've listened to podcasts, and I I know that these people that are actors, a lot of what they do is sit in a trailer waiting to get called or like, oh, today we're shooting in freezing cold water for 12 hours. So you're just going to be hypothermic, you know, borderline hypothermic for the entire day. I'm like, I bet that part feels like work. You know, red carpet doesn't feel like work. Borderline hypothermic feels like work, you know, famous basketball player. Oh yeah. I love scoring. I love winning. Well, I don't love losing. Well, I don't love, you know, having to like travel really far in this weird schedule that we get on. I don't love, I don't love wind sprints. Nobody, I maintain, nobody loves wind sprints. And, and just to get them to realize that it's, if they're paying you for it, there's something mundane, there's something tedious, there's something that's going to feel like work. And if you think otherwise, you're in for a, a pretty big disappointment. What we should be looking for instead is this purpose, this this thing that tells you, yeah, I, I hate filing all this paperwork. I hate keeping these records. I hate whatever, you know, there's going to be some stuff that you hate. But the reason that I, you know, push through those unpleasantries is because of this purpose. Now, we both have companies that come into our classes, and some of them are very smart and have thought about this, and and they talk about their opportunity in terms of how they conceptualize this broader purpose. Some of them are not. Some of them have not. Some of them uh, some of them will say, oh, well, we have a really great base salary. Well, yeah, you and 80% of the companies that come through here trying to recruit students. Yes. And then there's another cat category that have sort of a purpose that sort of doesn't make, you know, they're like half baked, you know, and, and I, 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 when I know them, when I hear them, I'm not sure that the students necessarily know them, but when I was in insurance, I would hear them, you know, and when I would be interviewed, I would hear them, you know, and you'd be like, oh yeah, so you sell a, a bad product because, you know, under the following 20 assumptions, somebody might benefit from it 20 years down the road, but you know, it's going to leave like all these people, you know, dead on the side of the road or something along the way. But, but that's okay. Sure. That's a, that seems like a stretch, but so like, give me some examples of what a good purpose looks like or what, you know, some examples that stand out in your mind that, that you've heard companies share. Sure. And I would say, so companies have vision statements. And when I was doing this research, sometimes the vision statement is really far reaching from what the salesperson is doing. Like you said, the salesperson may be doing cold calling all day. And so they don't necessarily, the sense of purpose and the vision statement don't always align. In a good company, it does, but it's it's kind of connecting the dots between this is our vision of what the company does. And how do I, as a salesperson, sort of translate that and make it my own. So making me personally feel like I'm having a difference. 
So when I was doing research on sense of purpose and I'm talking to people and I'm hearing their own sense that they are contributing to society, um, one of my favorite ones to tell is actually from a wheel manufacturer. So a tractor trailer driver, it's not the rubber, it's the wheel part of the tractor trailer. And he sells those to companies. So he's B2B and he's selling these wheels. And he says, I get on the phone every single day because when I sell these wheels, I know that they're not bending, cracking, breaking. They're a good, solid product. And so when these tractor trailer drivers are on the highway and they hit a pothole, they're not colliding with other cars. And he said, it's not even the tractor trailer drivers that are suffering from those accidents. They usually walk away from them. Who is it? It's the cars they crash into. Those people don't go home at night to their kids. And so he said, Mm. I sell every day because I know moms and dads make it home safely when a company buys my product. He has a strong sense a purpose that what he's doing impacts society at large. And so I think there's been some work on job meaningfulness and all of that. And that meaningfulness is a little bit different in that it's how you're benefiting the company. And I think this is where companies get it wrong. So when you were talking about managers giving this, they say, oh, we're relying on our salespeople to hit our numbers. And they start hard with, you got to hit the numbers, you're going to make your quota, you're going to make money and all of this. But it's really about how are you impacting the lives of our customers? How are you personally, through the actions that you're doing, individually impacting the lives of customers? So it's not just the company and the product, but how is the salesperson making this phone call going to be a long-term impact to society? And I think when you can connect the dots for your salespeople, so as a manager, when you can connect those dots, that's what makes a difference. And I think really it starts with customer stories. So it starts with customers saying, hey, this is something you did for me, and then sharing Mm -hmm. that organizationally, sharing that with your new people as you onboard them. So one of the companies that did business with Michigan State sponsored the sales program. I talked to somebody there that came into the classroom and she said, you know, for me selling tax and accounting software, I feel like I'm saving small businesses. I've had customers Mm -hmm. call me and say, you saved my small business. And she said, that's what gets me going every day. And she was salesperson of the year for that the company that year. And I think that's the sense of purpose is I personally have saved somebody's business. Um, I talked to another person just recently because I'm very interested in, in purpose and passion. And, you know, I'd like to hear more about it. But I had somebody selling raw materials. He's literally selling chemicals, gas, oil, those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, what keeps you motivated? What's driving this? And he said, if I don't get these materials to these companies, it shuts down whole plants. And that means people get laid off. So in these places that that I know these materials are going to, whole regions would be out of a job. That's families not eating because they're all of a sudden out of work. So he said, I know I'm benefiting society by getting the raw materials where they need to be on time. And that makes a difference to me. So I think really purpose can be, it's not just medical devices. It's it's It can be in every company, but I think you're right that it takes selling something that you can be proud of or that is a good product or that is not hurting somebody. And so I tell my students, look for a company that you can have purpose. Because like you said, every company is going to pay within a range, right? I mean, it's not all going to be the same. Some are going to pay a little bit more or less, but everybody's going to offer some kind of benefits package or they would call you a volunteer. So most companies don't rely on volunteers. They're going to pay 
And it's really the differentiating factor for companies can be this idea of purpose. And I think a lot of folks have missed it. They keep going back to, well, these are the benefits we offer. And I'm going, you've got to give somebody, how are you impacting society? How are you benefiting and helping customers? Mm. All right. I've got a bunch of thoughts in response that could take us in a lot of different directions. Let me start simple and then, and then I'll go, I'll go dark later. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Does it, you know, so in, in some ways, like you mentioned the the customer, okay, what's the, what's the benefit to the customer? Are you enhancing the customer's life? But the, the example of the, uh, of the wheel salesperson really wasn't about the customer at all. That and the other thing that you've said is the society at large. So society, sure. does it need to be about my customers or, you know, I think, I think everybody could think of something that's good for the customer. Oh, well we save them time. We save them. We help our solution fixes a problem of the legacy solution or whatever, but like, I don't know. Do we have to make it broader? Does it have to be societal? I, I think, it, I think it should be broader. I think it starts with the customer often, but I think it should be broader. I think it is more societal. So it's not just customer orientation. So we know um, as an academic, we know customer orientation is pleasing the customers and having this idea that we want to help customers. And it's not always about the customers. So another... um, Another example of an interview that I did, he said, you know, my customers weren't super happy that I was advocating for a um, an adhesive. So it's actually a windshield adhesive. Is the it's chemical bonding that he sells, and he said, I'm I'm advocating to my customers that they need to buy a more expensive product than some of the low end ones. But he said, I tell them that actually this adhesive will hold in crashes more. And so again, this idea, and and he gave an example of somebody that had just had their windshield replaced because that had been cracked and totaled their car within like half an hour. And he said, isn't that crazy? But he said, the windshield adhesive held because it's a good quality, solid product. And so he said, what I advocate for is what I think is going to be most beneficial to society, even though, you know, procurement officers would like to get a cheaper alternative. He said, I, I advocate for the one that I believe is the best for society. And so I do think you're right, that it's a little bit more to society at large. So sometimes it's just you know, the customer and that is benefiting society, but I think sometimes it's broader than that, as you said. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, so I, I, I kind of was, uh, speaking negatively toward insurance and I, and I don't, I certainly don't want to give the impression that I'm negative toward insurance because I, I have quite a lot of it. Uh, you know, you know, I have a lot of kids. I'm, I'm, I'm well insured. I, I, understand it better now than I did when I was selling it uh, in my earlier years. And there's this story that you hear from a lot of insurance companies that is, you know, sort of that that moment where they understand the purpose, you know, not not just can they repeat it, not just can, you know, if we, had, if we gave them a quiz, what's the purpose, they'd be able to answer some questions, but like they really kind of internalize it and it hits home. And it's that moment where they've sold a life insurance policy to a client and that client passes away. And I don't even know if insurance companies still do this. They, they, they might be a completely different process, but you know, a hundred years ago that the agent would then go and sometimes deliver the benefit check for that insurance policy to the surviving spouse, to the children, obviously a really emotional situation. I can imagine in some situations, you know, the person who's getting the check is expecting it and they're, you know, when is it going to come? Oh, here it's, oh, we can, now we can make sure we can pay for the funeral expenses. And now I know the house is going to be okay. And all, you know, all of these things that, you know, when you think about somebody passing away, it's, it's like the last 
things that you want to worry about, and yet you damn well better worry about them because you might get kicked out of your house or or whatever, you know? So it's kind of like urgent, but then you can be very, uh, you know, you feel a lot of shame for for letting those things become urgent, but they're pressing issues, you know? And, and, and you know, but, and then I'm sure some customers are, are not expecting at all, you know? Maybe they didn't even know that this person had bought this life insurance policy and you walk up and say, hey, here's 25, 50,000. 100,000, half a million, you pick your number and just getting to see these people's faces go, oh my God, I, I thought I was going to have to sell the house. I thought I thought I was going to have to like get another job to help my kids pay for school, you know? And wow, that's purpose. Why do I, you know, why do I feel, why should I feel good about calling people over, di- you know, during dinner time at their homes and interrupting their meal and, and then bugging them about meeting with me about life insurance? Uh, because if I can get to that situation, when I, if I can get to where somebody who wouldn't have purchased this without me bugging them at dinner time and being that guy that nobody likes, but sometimes we need, then like that makes all of the struggles, all of the unpleasantries probably a lot more bearable, right? Like, okay, well, I can keep doing that if I know that like this is a real thing. So like that, I mean, that to me has always been like a massively impactful one. You mentioned the tax and accounting software. So the, the last job I had before coming back to school was coming back to school and never leaving was, uh, you know, accounting services. It was, it was the exact same thing. In, in, in my mind, the the purpose was much more immediate, much more, you know, proximal. Like I didn't have to wait 30 years to see the purpose, but because it was, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to help small business owners. And, and they don't care about, you know, whether we print the balance sheets or whether we store them electronically and deliver them electronically, like the, the things about the product really don't, are, are insignificant to them. I got to talk about why they started their business, what their goals are, how many locations they want, what, why they're doing it in the first place. What are they trying to leave to their children? And, it, and you get to have these amazing conversations. Now, still hard work. You still got a cold call. You still got a, you know, there, there's, there are unpleasant aspects of it. But, you know, when, you, when you're able to see, oh, wow, okay, selling accounting services has nothing to do with accounting from, from the sales perspective and even from the customer's perspective often. Wow, okay, so what am I doing? I'm talking to business owners. I'm helping them, uh, you know, they opened a pizza joint because they make a good pizza and now they're spending 60% of their time playing with receipts and they think they might be breaking the law accidentally because everything's really complicated. And and, we, and I just get to show up and, and I don't even have to do the accounting. I'm just a sales rep. So I just get to show up and say, oh, like, we'll, we'll take we'll take care of that. Yeah, no problem. And it, and it, won't, it won't even cost you thousands of dollars a month. It'll cost you like a few hundred. It's, you're fine. We got you. And yeah, that keeps you going. That helps you. That helps you get up and out the door in the morning. The society at large. I, I don't know. There's something interesting to me about that. You know. And and, and okay. I, I don't even know if I can see. I'm, I'm trying to think about what what will be included and what will not be included when when it turns into an episode. So this might not be included. So you know, we we talk about you know in in marketing research, we talk about the service dominant logic. Mm-hmm. And I've been toying with this idea that started off as kind of a uh, probably inebriated sort of uh, bit that I was doing, uh, you know, probably at a conference with, to somebody where I said, no, 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 forget about the service dominant logic. It's all about it's all about the sales dominant logic. It's it's a transaction dominant logic. Not about I agree. It's not about product, but it's not about services. It's about that transaction. And uh, I started off as just a rant to to get a few giggles out of people. But the more I think about it, the more I think, I kind of think that's true. I kind of think that at the very beginning of time, you know, I assume we had a bad product and the service it delivered was poor. (laughs) And yet if you could get somebody to engage in exchange with you, then you could, you know, it's like a butterfly effect or something. No, then you get all these ripples 
you know, well, okay, they gave me this for that. And now, and, and, and I almost think, you know, maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe, maybe the exchange is the purpose. Now that doesn't sound very uh, nice. That doesn't sound very eloquent, you know, Say, no, but it's, but to some extent, you know, like, Hey, you're poor. Well, you don't have to develop a sophisticated service delivery mechanism via a product and think about Levitt's total product model. You just need to find a way to plug yourself into some revenue stream. And then you can go buy a nice pair of shoes and go interview for a different job. You know, I, I think it's where it starts. Know, maybe so, the exchange is itself a purpose. Well, the, and then the exchange is, I think where it starts and that's why so much of the theory. So if you, if you think back to like your early theory, theory days, um, it starts with the exchange and then they built service on top of it, right? So we, they're they're assuming the exchange is already happening and then they're saying, okay, service is, is important and those kinds of things. But I think at a fundamental level, you're right. And going back to your pizza example, so you said, oh, you know, I'm saving this pizza owner's job basically so that instead of doing 60% of the time, he's focusing on making pizzas and we can do the taxes and accounting. But think about all the things that happen in his pizza shop. So he gets to now stay open and maybe mm-hmm. there's engagements that happens there. Okay. I don't know who gets engaged to feed Smith shop, but, but there is, I mean, I put you the know, ring the right that, on top of one of the pepperonis and, you know, it's a terrible <laughs> example, but, but the idea that people can connect there, right? So you get, you, you've now got something in a small um, area. So I'm, I'm thinking small town America, cause that's kind of where I live now, but you know, there's only one or two pizza shops. So if that pizza shop doesn't stay open, cause he can't figure out his taxes and counting, that actually does have a ripple effect. So you talked about this ripple effect of mm-hmm. when you're selling something, it does more than just the immediate customer. By helping that customer stay open, all of a sudden, everybody that they serve is a broader sort of impact. And we tend to think yeah. of it in too narrow of a lens. You know, we think, oh, we're selling widgets, we're knocking door to door, but we're not thinking about the impact of this customer or what that customer can do with it then and, and move it on. So another another example that I had, and, and it was from actually a fellow academic, but he said, I sold wood. He said, I sold wood. And that was what his you know industry background is. And he said, I had purpose because I knew that I was selling to contractors who were using wood. And he said, we had great products. I mean, we had, we made sure to, to harvest in an ethical way. And we made sure that you know, wasn't going to break and split. But he said it wasn't just about the contractors who would buy it. It was about the people's houses, that they mm. weren't going to fall apart when something bad happened. So it went beyond just the B2B aspect to I know where it's going downstream. And it was very important. And even something like wood. So again, going back to the person who said, well, can you have a purpose from anything? I think you can, if, but you might have to think about it or look at it or look at what's happening beyond just that transaction. Yeah. That's it for this interview. I hope you got something valuable out of it. Of course, if you did, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast on whatever app you use to listen. Also, share this with your colleagues and friends, and let's continue to have a deeper discussion on all things related to selling and sales leadership. See you next time in the Sales Lab.